0: So we're kicking off a new series today titled, You Asked For It. Actually, we asked for it, and then you asked for it. And um, we really didn't get a ton of questions. Uh, and I'm going to read into that that you're pretty happy with the series that we do and the topics that we bring you. Um, and how that happens, if, for those of you who, who, who uh, might be wondering, all three of you who might be wondering how that happens, uh, four or five of us meet on a regular basis and uh, we discuss upcoming series, and th- those meetings are a mix of discernment and uh, where we are as a church and what God is laying on my heart, and, uh, and then a mix of creative juice and creative energy to make things interesting and inviting. Have you seen the billboard uh, for Mother's Day on the outside of the church? Anybody see that? Anybody see that? The mother of all Sundays. The mo- isn't that great? The mother of all Sundays with special speaker Liz Hoyt, and uh, looking forward to that. That's going to be a great morning. Uh, if you have ever had a mom, you'll want to be here for Mother's Day. And if you know anyone, if you know anyone who's ever had a mom, you'll want to invite them for Mother's Day. Uh, we're looking forward to that. It's going to be a great day. So usually our series are planned um, Several months in advance. So this series, you asked for was planned probably two or three months before Easter, and we have, we're, we're planned out till summer now or beyond, and uh, so we're always working a few months in advance, okay? So that's, um, that's that. With the small number of questions that did come in, the, we, we told you in advance that we would answer the most frequently asked questions. Now, remember, there was a handful of questions. But we said we will, uh, we will answer the most frequently asked questions. And the most frequently asked question that, that you asked, that you submitted to us, is what does the Bible say about homosexuality? That was the number one question, or some variation of that question. So my goal here this morning is to look clearly into Scripture. It's not important what I say about this, or what you say about this, or what media says about this or what culture says about this, uh, what's important, and I think what you want to know, at least the, this is the question that came in, is what does the Bible say about this? So a few things before we jump into the Bible, okay? First of all, uh, stick with me through to the very end of the message, okay? Don't, don't, don't check out on me or start counting lights before we get to the end of the message, Um, Don't check out on me if you hear something that doesn't line up perfectly with with your particular view. Uh, I want to be your pastor, and I want to be your friend. And I honestly love every single person who's here in this room this morning. And I'm doing my best to help you become, to help all of us become more like Jesus. Okay, so that's the first one. The second one, thank you. You might not clap on the second one. This is the second one and this is in bright red in my in my notes the second one is hold your bladders or drink less coffee or something but we made the seats comfortable so you could stay there for a 30 minute sermon and if you get up to go to the restroom it is a major distraction and if you know you're getting up sit closer to the back really in fact, we have a balcony. You can sit way back um, so it 's a major distraction to everyone when you're when you 're coming and going coming and going. third you don 't come to church on any other Sunday, hoping that i 'll only say things that you agree with all right so hold on hold, hold, hold. so you just don 't. You come in hoping to be challenged and stretched by God's word. You want to grow. You want to see things that you had not seen before. Uh, you want God to take you a little further. So I would say approach this the same way. Right? Don't say, no, I'm done. I'm done with that. That's, that's as far as I'll ever go. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Because you don't do that any other Sunday. So don't do that this Sunday. Approach this the same way. And if I do this right, I'll equally challenge everybody in the room. All right? So, um, this needs to be a safe place for you and for me. And if you, if you hyper-react to what you hear this morning, it makes it difficult to have these conversations. So, this room needs to be filled with love and grace and truth. And that's all you're ever going to get out of me. Um, so... Now I'm going to talk about applauding. Um, Just for this morning. Okay? Because uh, we like to applaud when we hear something that we agree with. Or we hear something good from God's word. But I'm going to ask you to be careful with that during this sermon. And next week, you can applaud again like crazy. Okay? Um, Because I don't want us... Like when you hear something that you like, I don't want you applauding like we're ganging up on someone else. Because that's... That is not the goal here this morning at all. That's not fair. We need to be very sensitive to real people who Jesus loves. Okay, are we all right? Does anybody need a potty break before I start? <laughs> well, I'll hide my water so it doesn't, you know, so it doesn't, you know encourage you. If you are gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender, I am so glad that you are here. You can applaud on that one if you want. All right. Uh, Everyone should see the church as a place of love where they can come closer to Jesus. If you are gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender, I want to apologize for the way you have been treated by some Christians. Some Christians in some churches are mean, judgmental, angry, unkind, and unloving. And it seems to me that Jesus walked into the messiest places of society and loved everyone unconditionally. And then he told us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Some churches say, all welcome on the outside, but as soon as you step inside the doors, you realize that they didn't mean it. You're only welcome if you look like them, talk like them, and dress like them. And there are people who call themselves Christians who will take shots at at me because I came out on this stage to say that I love gay, lesbian, transgender, bisexual, bisexual. People, and they'll throw their hate at me. Hurt people, hurt people. Haters gotta hate, 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 hate. <laughs> you really are welcome at Bunkton Westland. Uh, we're glad that you're here. So in this room, uh, in this room, there are things that we disagree on every week. Like we never leave here on Sunday morning with, with everyone in the room agreeing on everything we we just we just don't that that doesn't that doesn't happen uh and you'll never find a church where you agree with everything even if you stay home at bedside baptist <laughs> the first church of me myself and i you'll eventually have a church split and if you're all alone that'll hurt so it's, it's not possible for me to speak to the outer edges of both sides of this issue and have everyone in this room agree with me. Agreement isn't the goal. Love and respect is the goal. Staying open to God's word on this subject is the goal. We can love each other even if we disagree. Do you agree? Okay, group hug, group hug. Group hug, group hug. All right. Again. Again. I'm not trying to win a battle or prove anyone wrong. I'm answering the question, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? And I'm going to focus on the New Testament, uh, on what Jesus said, and then on what Paul said, and then we're going to go back to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 15, the Pharisees, the, Pharisees, the, the ultra-religious, high-legalism, low-grace crowd, try to trap Jesus with their theological gymnastics. And today's trapeze, get it? Traps, gymnastics, trapeze, is over the ceremonial washing of hands before you eat. And the Pharisees are chasing Jesus to question him about why his disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. And it's not the question that is the problem. It's the motive of the heart behind the question. And if you track Jesus through the, the Gospels, you'll see time and again how it's, it's the self righteous, religious crowd that frustrate Jesus the most. And it's the non religious, honest, humble, everyday crowd that Jesus is drawn to the most. And Jesus points out to these Pharisees that are, they're trying to trap him, he points out, he just calls them hypocrites. He says, You're hypocrites. They pick and choose what laws they like and the ones that work for them, and then they ignore the other laws and So, in this particular uh, text in Matthew fifteen, Jesus calls out the Pharisees for not taking care of their aging parents, basically leaving them to die and uh, and they 're cloaking their lack of responsibility on that by by putting all of their resources into the temple. And uh, in their own ministries. And Jesus says in verse 6 that they're putting traditions ahead of God's word. It's not hypocritical for me to say, we love you, and here's what the Bible says about this. Okay, that's not hypocritical. It is hypocritical for me to say, here's what the Bible says about this, good luck, and then not love you. That's hypocritical. So in verse 12 of this text... Um, the disciples say, um, Jesus, I think you offended them. And Jesus replies with, speaking about the Pharisees, he replies with, they're blind guys leading the blind and they're all going to fall in the ditch. <laughs> I think he feels quite strongly about these people. So we're going to pick it up in verse 16 where the disciples ask Jesus to explain the parable that says we're not def- we aren't defiled by what we eat. Matthew chapter 15, verse 16 Jesus says to the disciples, Don't you understand yet? Jesus asked. Anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. That's clear. Again, don't go to the bathroom right now. Wait till after the service. (laughs) But the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, Adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. Now, the Greek word that Jesus used that we translate as um, sexual immorality. Let's see if we have this slide. There we go. There's one word that Jesus used in Greek that defines these two words together, sexual immorality, And the Greek word is porneia. Does that sound familiar? That's where we get the word. Porneia. That's the word that that Jesus used. We translate it today with two words, sexual immorality. It refers to every kind of extramarital intercourse, fornication, adultery, unfaithfulness, idolatry, incest, etc., The Greek New Testament lexicons define it as every kind of extramarital, unlawful, unnatural sexual intercourse. Every major Greek lexicon of the New Testament includes uh, the word fornication in the definition of porneia. This included a broad range of sexual activities outside of marriage, including homosexuality. Stick with me. What the church has been guilty of is being quiet on some things and really loud on others. We're like the Pharisees who are picking and choosing which laws they like to keep and which ones they like to avoid. And Jesus is being very clear in this text and he says all sexual immorality. If you're in a conversation with someone who wants to know if Jesus ever spoke to this issue, he did. It's Matthew 15, verse 19. When he used the word pornea, his audience of that day would have known exactly what that word meant and everything that it covered. Okay, jump over a few chapters to Matthew chapter 19. And the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus again. This is trap number two. Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6. Haven't you read the scriptures? This time Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. In the first text we read, he was talking; he was responding to the disciples. This time he's responding to the Pharisees. Haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied. They record that from the beginning God made them male and female, and he said this explains why a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. When Jesus says to the Pharisees in verse 4, haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus knows that that they know, the Pharisees know, the Old Testament extremely well. They are experts in the Old Testament. In fact, uh, Pharisees would have uh, memorized thousands of verses of scripture. Some of the Pharisees would, would have committed entire books of the Old Testament to memory. So when Jesus says, haven't you read the scriptures? Uh, he's reminding he's reminded them that, you know, he already knows the answer. He's just saying, I see your trap. I see your trap. Nice try. And he's also pointing back to the, the creation story in this text. And this is where Jesus affirms the book of Genesis, which is very important. When Jesus affirms the Genesis account, that's very important. And he also affirms God's design from the very beginning. So if, if, you, think, if you think we're old school, Jesus was too. He's so old school, he was original school. He goes all the way back to the very, very beginning in the book of Genesis. And he says in verse 6, what God has joined together. What God has joined together. And we usually use this verse in weddings. And we apply it to the bride and the groom as a reminder that they should stay married till death do them part. But in pointing to the marriage model... Jesus is pointing back to God's design from the beginning. And he says, don't let anyone tear that apart. Don't let anybody tear apart God's design, what God has joined together. Jesus defines marriage. If we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and I do, then we believe that Jesus existed when God created the heavens and the earth. Day and... And night, evening and morning, oceans and dry land, plants and animals, man and woman. He created Adam, and he called him man. He created Eve, and he said, whoa, man. Now you know where that term came from. (laughs) And I think after that, he said, it is, it is very good. I think, I think those were the next nice words. I'm not trying to be insensitive to this issue. And I know this is complex. And I can't possibly answer every single question about this. This is Jesus' definition of marriage. I don't like the term biblical definition of marriage. That would include 300 wives and 700 concubines. Uh, This is Jesus' definition when he's being trapped. And he's not being trapped by the world. It's not the world saying, give us an answer on this. It's the religious crowd who are pushing him on these things. Jesus didn't call this meeting. He wasn't campaigning for anything. He wasn't soapboxing for anything. He was being pushed and trapped, and he answered the question as clearly as possible. All right, let's jump over to see some of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and beginning in verse 9. The Apostle Paul says this, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or are abusive, or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Paul says in verse 9, don't you realize that those who do wrong. Anybody here this morning ever do wrong? All the wrongdoers. You ever done wrong? Go ahead and raise your hand. All the wrongdoers. Paul says, those who do wrong. This is where the church has gone so wrong in being quick to point at other people's sins and quiet about our own sins. All sin has consequences. And it's true, some sins wreak more havoc than others, but we don't get to look at a menu and and pick and choose which ones we like and which ones we don't like. Paul says those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols, that would be, you know, anyone, people who, who put anything ahead of God. In their lives, idol worshipers, or commit adultery, or are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or greedy, or drunkards, or abusive, or cheat people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And he says, some of you were once like that. Some of us were once like that. Some of us are like that. We talked about this on Good Friday. Am I the one? Yep. Paul continues, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. We are all born broken. It's a fallen, messed up, imperfect world that we live in. Why would God make me this way if he didn't want me to live this way? That's a common question or some variation of it. Um, God made me attracted to women. And I can't have sex with whoever I want to. That doesn't work. I have to battle against against lust. And I wonder, why did God make me this way? Why doesn't he just remove it? Why can't I just have sudden bursts of lust at fully appropriate times? That'd be great. Yeah, write that down. Sudden burst of lust at fully appropriate times. Being born that way isn't a sin. Being tempted or having those desires is not a sin. It might be a cross that you have to carry. An area of your life where you just have to trust God on a daily basis. And if I had to choose a verse to help explain this, I might choose... Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For everyone is sinned. And we all fall short of the glory of God. God's glorious standard. I agree, it's hard. It's messy. There aren't real easy answers. But I also believe that God can be with us in our struggles. He can strengthen us and work through our pain. Okay, one more trap. A lot of traps today. Here's another one, John chapter 8, uh, verses 1 through 11. And then we'll, uh, after this trap, we'll wrap it up. Uh, It's good to have conversations, but don't be out trying to intentionally trap people. Nobody likes being trapped. John 8, verse 1, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. Early the next morning, he was back again at the temple, and a crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. And as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. A the teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, All right, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. They kept demanding an answer. Uh, You don't have to answer everyone on everything. Jesus didn't answer every question. With a highly charged atmosphere around a sexual sin, With the law in one hand and a stone in the other. Jesus reminds us that we're all sinners. We're all broken. Her sin happened to be adultery. What's yours? See, God's word is a standard to live by, not a stone to be thrown. Put down your stones. Her accusers didn't condemn her and neither did Jesus. We'll win more people with our conversations than with our condemnations. And I'd rather be known for our grace-giving than our stone-throwing. So I hope you heard this morning that this is a place of love and grace and mercy where we recognize that none of us are perfect. We all need grace. And I hope you heard this morning that everyone is welcome here. And we'll love each other in community as we all grow closer to Jesus. let's pray. Well, oh, thanks. I'll remain standing. Let's pray together. Lord, we need your help. We need your help. Lord, we, I need your help. I need your help. I, I pray for continued wisdom. I pray for continued love and grace. I pray, God, that, you would, uh, that I would never be done learning and that you would just uh, keep me open and help me to learn how to love like, like the way that you love and, and how to see people the way that you see people and to realize that uh, my sins are no better than anyone else's. And God, I just thank you this morning for this uh, wonderful congregation. And I believe, God, that you are going to open doors and help us to reach uh, people who need you, who need to know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. And so God, I just pray that you would help us to have more conversations and fewer condemnations and just to uh, just to do our best to love people and to love others towards you. And God, I pray um, that you would just... Um, God, that you would just surround us with your love. Thank you for it. Uh, just thank you for being here with us as we continue to worship now in Jesus' name. Amen. We're gonna sing.